There we go. We good now? Apparently. I'll clip it in the middle. I might make it better. There we go. The only reason we haven't sung this song in church yet was because I knew that uh, the first time we did, I was going to have to talk about it uh, and preach about it. So I've just been waiting for this moment when this this song would fit, when talking about the song would fit. So will I. Three simple words, which is perfect for a night like tonight because these words are kind of the root of traditions, right? This is the root of why we do traditional things. So many things we do, we do because that's how they did it before us. My dad did it that way, so will I. My grandma made it this way, so will I. My family roots for the chiefs, but so will I. When Esther and I got married, she um, actually had the audacity to ask me what she should bring to Thanksgiving dinner. And I immediately told her she would bring nothing because all the elements were covered and none of them had changed since I was little. We don't mess with Thanksgiving dinner. When I rattled off the menu and told her what it would all taste like, because I could tell her ahead of time, recognizing this was important to me, um, she said, okay, then I'll just bring a salad since no one else is. And it is seemingly inconsequential statements like this that destroy the foundation of society. <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little bit, but I will say that it didn't dawn on me how, just how stuck my family was in our Thanksgiving traditions until the year that we were passing the cranberry jelly around the table. And my family uses um, the canned jelly that when you dump it out on the plate, it results in this gorgeous gelatinous mass that still looks like a can. You guys know what I'm talking about? We use this kind of jelly because we love Jesus. Um, I'm kidding, sort of. But one year, um, the cranberry jelly was being passed around the table, and Esther takes this can-shaped goodness and passes it untouched to my grandmother, who pauses um, to hold the plate, assuming that um, Esther wanted to take some of this sweet and tangy deliciousness and it only handed her the plate because it's kind of tricky to hold the plate and, you know, uh, dish off one of these perfectly round yet slippery culinary delights. So when Esther says, oh, no, thank you, I don't really like cranberry sauce, my grandmother says the words that reveal the flaw in most traditionalist thinking. My grandmother leans in and says, conspiratorially, yet loud enough for us all to hear, oh, sweetie, none of us like it, we just eat it. And isn't that the problem with so many traditions? We, we don't even know why we do it. Christmas is music, this, Christmas music is this way. It's, it's bad music. I mean, objectively speaking, it's, it's bad music. We all know this, right? Just agree with me. It's bad music. So why listen to it? Why do we listen to bad music? Because that's what we've always done. Everybody else listens to bad music this time of year. So will I. We all want to be individuals, right? Nobody... Nobody likes to think of themselves as being shoved into a mold. But ultimately, we tend, to, we tend to wind up following something. It's not a conscious thing. It happens without us realizing it. In fact, have you ever noticed how most like indie, alt-emo, I don't know what the new word is, but how all those people wind up kind of looking the same? It's like they all decide... I want to be different. I don't want society to tell me what is okay to wear. I don't want society to tell me what it's okay to look like. I want to look however I want to look. And as soon as they make that decision, they go, what if all the other people who have made this decision look like? Okay, I'll look like them. And so ultimately they still find, wind up, how do all the other rebels dress? So will I. 
We follow. And I don't believe this makes us mindless robots. I believe we were created for this behavior. We tend toward imitation. Right? It's how we teach our kids. I got like a million kids. And if I had a dollar for every time I have looked at a tiny person's face and gone, Mama, Dada, you know, trying to get them to imitate me, but a dollar for every time I've done that, I wouldn't have to preach to make the big money. We imitate. And I believe we were created to do so. God made us to imitate Him. He introduced Himself to humans as a, as a creator. And the very first command that He gives us is to do the same. Go and imitate me. Make more people. Procreate. I made people... Now you go make people. Rule over the earth. All power is mine. But I made you in my image and likeness so that you could rule and reign. But be careful how you do it. Do it the way I would. First humans were expected to say, God creates, so will I. God rules and reigns and cares for his creation, so will I. God is a complete and healthy community, so will I. Man was made to imitate God. Well, as we all know, we did a terrible job of this, and humanity made mistakes. We fell. Everything was broken. And once God was ready to reveal himself to to humans again, he called a man named Abraham, and from that one man he built a people. And through those people, he planned to reveal to the world what it looks like to imitate God. In fact, when he came to give the Torah, one of the phrases that repeats itself over and over again is, For I am the Lord your God. You must consecrate yourselves. Be holy because I am holy. Be like me. Imitate me. And this phrase happens over and over again in relation to all kinds of things. This particular one is talking about the food you eat. God is continually telling his people that the demands that he puts on them are not just arbitrary rules. The why of obedience, the why of holiness is imitation. Imitate me. We do things to be like God. He is holy, so we imitate holiness. But there's a problem. Despite the fact that the Torah outlined exactly how to act as God wished, there seemed to be a breakdown between knowing and doing. Personally, I think the problem is that rules and laws are to be obeyed. And humans don't do great with blind obedience. We do better at imitation. But imitation requires an example. Rules are obeyed, but examples are followed. They're imitated. So God in His grand and immortal wisdom, after centuries of human beings failing to obey, He sent us an example. For unto us a child is born, unto us an example is given, my paraphrase. And every year, people gather like we are at this time, to marvel at this incredibly dramatic move by God to show up. But the real miracle is actually bigger because it wasn't that unique for God to show up. If we're honest, most of our favorite and most dramatic scenes in the Old Testament are times when God showed up. In fact, since we talked about the Torah earlier, when he was sending the Torah when he was preparing to actually give Moses the law, he started by saying this. Then Moses, or the Lord said to Moses, go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow, 
Let them wash their clothes. Let them be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down upon Mount Sinai in the sight of all his people. Over and over again, the Old Testament, God interacts with his people by showing up, by coming down. So when it was time for God to save us, it would only make sense for God to just show up again. Maybe take a humanoid form if he wants to and take the throne of Israel. But in a shocking move, God enters the world the same way every human since Adam and Eve has entered the world. Jesus comes with an umbilical cord that attaches him to the rest of the human race. And he lives. He lives a real human life. He learns to say mama. He learns to spit out the food he doesn't like. He learns to walk and he learns to knock on the bathroom door when Mary's trying to get a minute alone. He does chores. He grows in both wisdom and stature in the eyes of men and God. He lives. Jesus grows up and as a young teenager, he throws himself into kingdom work, asking questions and offering arguments. He tells his mom that he's about his father's business. Years later, Jesus steps back onto the public scene and begins his ministry. And according to most of our most profound theological arguments, the next three years barely matter because usually when we talk about Jesus, all we talk about is the fact that he came to die. But he spent three years living. And here in the next few months, I'll be preaching that sermon. We'll be at Easter. But we gather at Christmas to talk about his coming. That he showed up. That he is Emmanuel, the God who shows up. And the beautiful thing is, he didn't just show up, he showed up and lived. Jesus lived a life, and that life serves as an example to us of what a human life, well lived, should look like. So when Jesus is ready to call disciples and and get people to follow him, he does so by saying, Follow me, which can also be interpreted, imitate me. And his disciples do that. And while they do, he says things like, as I have loved you, you should also go love one another. And students are not greater than their teacher, but a student who is fully trained will become like his teacher. And maybe the absolute clearest one, he says, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. Notice he doesn't say, I give you commands, go and obey them. There's times he says things like that, usually about loving people. But every command is rooted in this verse. Jesus descended into humanity and lived a real human life, showing real love to set an example for us to follow. And then he tapped you and he tapped me and he said, follow me, imitate me. Live like I lived. And the very first Christians pick up on this. Paul says, you should imitate me just as I'm imitating Christ. Peter adds, for God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. For he is your example and you follow in his steps. John picks it up and tacks on. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. The early church was consumed with the idea that Jesus lived to set an example for us to follow. You guys remember the phrase, what would Jesus do? 
WWJD. <laughs> if it wasn't Christmas Eve, I would tell an embarrassing story about Don Lee. If you want to hear it, come talk to me later, and we'll. I'll get, I'd love to spread some. Go- I'll love to spread some gossip. That's what I do. But this is actually a really profound question. What would Jesus do? It's probably the worst thing that happened to this little phrase was that it got caught up in the in the t-shirts and hats and book covers and basically drifted into Christian marketing cliche void. But that's the right question. What would Jesus do? Which is why I think I've fallen in love with this phrase, so will I. Maybe maybe this is the new what would Jesus do. Because I think this is the right way to read the Gospels. Here at Open Table, we, we tend to end every message with the question, how do we respond to this? Which I think we should always ask ourselves anytime we engage the Scripture. We don't read for fun or just to cram information in our heads. We read to change. And so it's right when we treat with Scripture to say, what's my part? What's my action point? How do I respond to this? But when we read the Gospels specifically, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, I think so will I is maybe the right response. Jesus grew up, so will I. Jesus read Scripture, so will I. He prayed, so will I. Jesus made disciples, so will I. Jesus got baptized, so will I. Jesus embraced historical traditions like Passover that served as anchors to his faith, so will I. But he also challenged religious establishments when they grew stale and lost their way, so will I. Jesus talked to people and even healed people whom society classified as an enemy. So will I. Jesus ministered to and touched people that no one else would get anywhere near. So will I. Jesus wrapped his theology in stories instead of apologetical arguments. So will I. He forgave sins even when it meant that the other religious leaders were going to be mad at him for doing it. So will I. Jesus blessed children. So will I. Jesus rejected and undermined systems of power in his culture. So will I. Jesus submitted to his father. So will I. He sat at the table and ate with people that were completely unworthy. So will I. He valued women and gave them seats in the discussion that historically were held for men. So will I. Jesus showed real compassion for people. So will I. He also held people to an unbelievably high standard. So will I. He wept when his heart hurt. So will I. He jumped up and down the streets when he was excited or joyful. So will I. I could go on and on and on and on. But Jesus didn't just live an amazing life so that we could sit back and wonder at how cool he was. Everything Jesus did was motivated by, I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. So if Jesus lived to set an example for us to follow... What does that mean on Christmas Eve? How do we say, so will I, to Christmas? This past Sunday we wrapped up our discussion with the importance of showing up. If there's anything we get from God showing up in human form on Christmas morning, it's that we need to show up. 
Every time we read about the angels and the shepherds and the census and the manger and John's in vitro gymnastics and Mary's magnificent song, I hope we think God showed up. So will I. And, but that's the big generic application, right? What about Christmas morning? What about tonight? What about this moment right here as we gather with candles in our hands? And most likely if Mary did have Jesus on December 25th, 2020 years ago, she would probably have been in labor right now. I think that's a pretty good metaphor. The greatest moment in human history reduced to a birth scene. I think if we're created to create Christmas, the way we do that is to see the value in small, ordinary things. While Mary labored in a barn, Rome, the biggest kingdom on earth, was being overthrown from a democracy to an empire. And the recently conquered nation of Israel was trying to figure out how to be a vassal state rather than a sovereign nation. And while all these grand things were happening, the world was being changed in a barn. In the middle of nowhere. I mean, think about this. If the globe is our setting, Rome is the most dominant empire on the planet. Israel is a small conquered nation in the extreme southeast of the empire. It makes up about 0.5% of the landmass of the empire and has about 0.4% of the population. Israel is completely insignificant. Other than to maybe collect a few taxes to send back to Rome, it means nothing on the grand scene. And then this tiny backwood nation... There's a city called Jerusalem, which is the central hub of this nowhere country. And way outside this central hub of Jerusalem is a little country town of Bethlehem. People in Israel made fun of Bethlehem because it was so insignificant. You got teased if you were from Bethlehem. And despite its smallness and insignificant, it does have a Motel 6 right on the main street that's not even big enough for a stoplight. And back behind that Motel 6 is a barn. And in that barn, the relationship between God and man was changing forever as God came crashing into the human story in a new way. So the moment in human history that divides our calendar and changes the destiny of the human race doesn't even warrant a hotel room in Bethlehem. And Bethlehem was way off the grid of Israel which was barely registered on the consciousness of Rome. The number of people on the planet who knew that Bethlehem had an inn, let alone a barn behind the inn, was laughably small. And that is where the real change happened. So if we're to create Christmas, we do it by thinking small. And isn't this always the tension of Christmas, really? Because Christmas is so big now. It's commercial, it's fiscal, it's hectic. The music and movies and paraphernalia is a giant market in and of itself. And yet we all know the special moments are the small moments, right? Watching our kids open a gift, driving around looking at lights, just having the people we love around us. I mean, ask anybody who's lost someone they're close to, what's most important about Christmas. They'll tell you it's people. 
they would also, they'll also tell you what they'd give to have their people back for one more Christmas. This year we've probably used the word global more than any of us ever have before. And if we aren't talking globally, we're arguing about something nationally. Or maybe we're wondering what our governor is going to mandate next or how our county, county officials are going to respond to the latest data. All eyes are on the big houses of power. But if I could send us home with one Christmas wish, it would be that, that you might say, if the God of the universe was willing to ignore all the drama of all the big and he was willing to focus on something as small as a birth. And so will I. Go home and turn off the news. Stay off Facebook tomorrow. Pretend there's nothing outside of your people. And act like throwing yourself fully into something as small as your family might actually change the world. Because I believe if Christmas teaches us anything, it teaches us that it does. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you showed up. And that made all the difference. You did not leave us alone. You did not leave us abandoned. You came for us. And you lived a life to set an example for us that we could follow. Help us to help us to do that. It's so easy to get caught up in the big things. It's so easy to get caught up in the drama. It was no different when you came. There was big drama playing out everywhere. The majority of the planet overlooked what was happening in a barn. Give us eyes to see smaller, hearts to believe the little things are important. that's how we follow your example. That's how we change the world. Do this in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Jay Deal is going to come down and light the Christ candle for us. As he does so, Judy's going to start singing Silent Night as he passes the light to you or to someone and they pass it to you, please turn and pass it on.
Let us calm this upon yeah. you and Thank give you God. peace. Go in peace.